Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. On this week's podcast, we're talking about the trends of CES 2022. We're starting off first with everyone making an electric car, the first cell phones that have been announced for 2022, and our overall favorite tech of CES 2022. All right, so it is CES 2022, and with CES comes a lot of products and a lot of trends. A lot of times we get a look at the future of what things like laptops and cell phones are going to look like, and we're going to start with electric cars because it seems like everyone is making an electric car at CES. So we did get quite a few things. We got to see a brand new concept from Mercedes with their EQXX. Uh, and it's their brand new uh, kind of luxury uh, electric car. But what they're going to do is they're going to double down on what they did with their EQS. So similar to the EQS, they're going to have a big screen going across the dash. Uh, it looks like this one might be one continuous screen if they can get away with it, as opposed to uh, the three screens that are on the hyper screen in the current EQS um, and just, you know, covered in one piece of glass. But the big news about this EQXX is that it will have a drag coefficient of about 1.7, which is significantly better than the two best cars right now uh, in the Mercedes-Benz EQS, as well as the Lucid Air, which have a drag coefficient of about 2, 2.0. Um, so yeah, it seems like Mercedes is, wants to double down with luxury, big screens, and a very efficient design. And I think this can be seen in a couple of ways. One, it could be seen as great uh, in terms of going into efficiency, but a lot of people didn't really like the design of the original EQS. I personally loved it, but, you know, it wasn't for everyone. And when you have to make things aerodynamic, there are a lot of sacrifices that you got to make with the design. And the EQXX is kind of uh, similar to that. But we also got uh, electric car announcements, uh, at least concepts, from the likes of Chrysler. Uh, we got a brand new look at the future of Cadillac with a new look at the Cadillac Lyric, as well as two new looks at two new concepts coming from Cadillac, including their future of autonomous driving, which I believe is called... Super Cruise? Super Cruise, thank you. Um, yeah, so they're showing their new... Uh, their emphasis on Super Cruise, which is they have announced that they want all roads to be mapped for Super Cruise so that their autonomous driving can be, you know, fully fledged in their vehicles. And they're announcing a new version of Super Cruise that is going to debut once again on some new Cadillac vehicles, which is great, uh, specifically Cadillac electric vehicles. They also announced a brand new electric pickup truck from Chevrolet using the Altium battery platform, same thing that powers the uh, H, the Hummer, Hummer EV. And they also announced that they're going to be building some new uh, battery factories because they want uh, their battery production to get cheaper so that their electric cars can get cheaper. Uh, so that's GM pushing the envelope once again into electric cars. The big news is that we got to see another uh, look at the Sony Vision concept, which is an electric car coming from Sony. And the interesting thing is they're heavily hinting that they want to make this. They showed both of them. They showed the old concept and this new concept. They look uh, pretty similar, but they definitely have some design cues. Um, 
And Sony is announcing that they want these things to be a production vehicle at some point. No real time frame on how soon that can or will be. But we have talked about rumors that Apple wants to make a car. Uh, and we haven't really seen a lot of tech companies to go from making traditional consumer electronics to cars. Uh, it could be pretty crazy if we see both Apple and Sony doing that. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting thing to see because it's definitely something we haven't seen before. But yeah, that, those are mm-hmm. some trends coming from from CES in terms of electric cars. My question to you is, have you seen any of these uh, electric vehicles? And is there any that stand out to you? I've seen a few of them. I'd say in terms of standing out, the one that stands out the most is Sony is because I guess I wasn't aware before about Sony's, I guess, previous electric car prototypes or, you know, concepts that they've built. Mm-hmm. The reason I found out about it was because Sony also unveiled their PSVR 2. Um, yes. They didn't, I mean, they didn't show it. They kind of said, hey, the this is the official name for the system. It's going to be the PSVR 2. Okay, very surprising name. Yeah. And then they talked about the controllers, which they showed off last year, and said these are officially called the PlayStation VR 2 Sense controllers. And it's like, all right, so you didn't really tell us anything. You didn't show <laughs> us anything. But in that announcement, they said, hey, yeah, these are our Sony, what did they call them? They're Sony Vision, Vision. S and the yeah. Vision S SUV. And I was like, since when did Sony start making cars? Why are they making cars? But, you know, you brought up a good point. Apple is in the talks and has been in the talks for making cars. And the fact that Sony seems so far along in this electric vehicle, uh, you know, manufacturing, they've created a separate company now called Sony Mobility Inc. That is their commercial EV company, like you said, going to make, you know, vehicles for the mass public it doesn't seem as outlandish that hey apple is getting close to announcing a car right so i say in terms of what grabbed my attention the most definitely that because i wasn't expecting it you know a car from mercedes a car from cadillac from gm i expect to hear those things i mean last year those were some of our favorite things about ces was all these these electric vehicles that were supposed to be coming out but the EQXX, just to kind of talk about it for a bit, I like the look of this. I like the I like the look of the EQS last year also, mm-hmm. but I don't know something about this. It's like a classic looking design, right? It almost looks like a classic sports car, a classic coupe, even though it is a four door sedan. I don't maybe it's just the lines and the lighting on it. But you mentioned the drag coefficient. You mentioned the range. It is supposed to have a 620 plus mile range now that's just an estimate i don't think that's even like an estimate from the epa so whenever this car actually does come out it might be a bit less than 620 miles but assuming that that is true it would beat the lucid air which currently has the best range in the ev business it would beat the Lucid Air by 100 miles. It would also beat the longest range Tesla by 200 miles. So we were, we, you know, we've talked about Tesla's issues in the past when it comes to quality, but kind of one of the things that they've always had is they are extremely fun cars to drive and they have great range and almost, you know, it's hard to compete with Tesla's range. But 
Mercedes knows how to make good quality cars and they know how to make very luxurious cars. If they could then beat Tesla's range by 200 miles, that is a very big statement coming from a legacy car manufacturer. And not to mention, you know, companies like Cadillac, companies like Chevy that are getting into this EV market too. It's, uh, it's good to see all this competition. Um, I really like what I'm seeing from, you know, all these different car companies and all these different non-car, these electronic companies, you know, they're kind of stepping into things. So yeah, I don't know. I'm excited for, for EV cars in the future. And I'm glad to see that there are more and more options popping up. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. The, the interesting thing with all of these concepts is when the, the car industry is no stranger to random concepts showing up that can end up being vaporware. And CES is no stranger to products showing up that can end up being vaporware. Just look back at last year when my favorite product of last year's CES was TCL's next paper that still to this day does not exist and will never exist. Um, but the cool thing about what these companies are doing here is they're putting out spe specifications that they want to hit with these production vehicles. And like you mentioned with the drag coefficient and the range of the EQXX, they're saying, hey, our production car is going to hit these specifications. Even though this is a concept, we're very close to what this production car uh, is going to be. And Sony is doing a similar thing with their vision concept, right? They announced how much these cars weigh, um, just under 5,500 pounds. They announced that they're going to be powered by dual motors. Uh, each motor with 268 horsepower apiece. Um, so they are going into detailed specs of what these, not just what these concepts have right now, but what they plan on doing on the production vehicle, which is a good sign to see. And it's what a good concept should be. It should be a good indication of what the actual vehicle is going to be. But there is one thing, like we are talking about the trends of CES here, and there is one specific trend with these electric cars that I'm seeing um, and I'm kind of curious to get your opinion on it. It's two things. One of them is big screens, screens all over these vehicles. And I'm kind of wondering if the idea of just covering an electric vehicle in screens is going to last. Um, I, I wonder if a lot of people, uh, especially as gas cars start to go away, if people want uh, less screens and be more connected with the road, uh, and I, I think feel like a lot of times these screens are there because they want these cars to be autonomous and they want you to have less input. I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of fight back there with people who want to keep a hold of their steering wheel. We already saw this with the Tesla Model S Plaid. Tesla tried to cut the steering wheel in half. Some people loved it. Some people couldn't stand it. But another trend that I've noticed uh, on the other side of that is the focus on autonomy uh, in vehicles. And with a lot of these concepts, specifically with GM, Cadillac, and what they're doing there, they envision a future where cars are not necessarily owned by you. And instead, you go to an app, you order a car, just like it would be an Uber, um, and it will come pick you up. It's designed to have a lot of interior space, and you can just lay back and have the car drive you to where you need to go. Uh, we talked a little, about, a little bit about this in the past, but I'm just curious, how do you feel about those two things of like screens and cars and autonomy in cars? Do you think that those things are going to take over to the point where the vast majority of cars are just going to be screens on wheels? I definitely see that being the future. 
at some point, not the near future at all. Um, I think there's still a lot of people who I don't want to say apprehensive about switching to electric cars, but they're not in any rush to switch to electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. And kind of one of the biggest barriers about it is the price of cars, right? It's much easier. And I think we talked about this on our last podcast. It's a lot easier to buy a used, you know, a used just regular combustion engine car than to buy a used Tesla, you know? Yeah. And so we won't see that becoming popular until there is a proliferation of used electric cars in the market. And then once there's a proliferation of that, then, okay, now these newer electric cars can be all screen and don't have to worry about any sort of driver input. And not to mention, you know, one of the biggest obstacles to it is regulation, whether it be you know, municipal regulations, whether it be provincial state regulations or just, you know, federal regulations, because all of the previous concepts that we've seen in the past, hey, it looks great. But I mean, just this past year, Tesla had to march back their their autonomous driving functions. And for the longest time, they have been the leader in autonomous driving. Mm-hmm. or at least in driver assistance functions, right? Because they haven't actually ever been fully autonomous, legally, at least not. Um, so I do think there, you know, that is the future that we're building towards. And even if you look at now, more and more people are becoming comfortable with the Ubers, with the Lyfts, with different ride programs. There's a lot of kids who are becoming of age to drive and aren't even interested in driving at all. Because they've become so used to other people driving them, whether it be other family members driving them or even just, you know, someone from an app driving them. They've become so used to that. So it isn't going to be that big of a jump to say, okay, instead of someone else driving me, the car is going to drive itself. I don't have to worry about driving at all. There's a lot of people that are going to like that. And not to mention this, this Cadillac inner space concept car. The lounge, the lounge two seater. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty much a living room on wheels. You got your love seat, your big screen TV. It looks very comfortable. It looks very luxurious. I could see myself riding in that when I'm like 70, let's <laughs> say, but it's, it's definitely not for right now. Yeah. This is something that is maybe let's say 20, 30 years into the future. But I definitely do think at some point it is the future. Yeah. Just well, not anytime soon. You might be right. Like it might be in the, in the very distant future. Uh, but one kind of last trend in the, in the car segment that I've noticed is there, every single chip maker is vying for the ability to put their chips in not just the cars, but in their autonomous tech. They are making a lot of machine learning and AI powered chips that are specifically designed to map roads and to navigate roads. And that was a big trend in this year's CES. We saw it from Intel, we saw it from AMD, we saw it from Nvidia. All the big chip makers are talking about how they want to be in a lot of these companies' cars to map the roads and to navigate roads uh, effectively. And we even got to see one demo of an autonomous car driving around in Paris. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talking about, hey, this is a very difficult kind of scenario and the car is is essentially doing it effortlessly. So, yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of money in this idea of autonomous cars. And I think that's probably what's leading it. 
whether or not consumers adopt it, I think is the, is the question. And I think you're 100% right on that. Yeah, I think. Sorry, go ahead. It's, yeah, it's, no, I don't know. It's going to be tricky, yeah. right? And I don't even, I think the point you made about it being, okay, consumers aren't owning these cars anymore. Because one thing that companies like Uber, companies like Lyft are running into is they're running into labor disputes mm. into, okay, are these people that we're hiring, are they actual employees or are they just gig workers so we don't have to worry about benefits and we don't have to worry about paying into pensions or anything like that? One way that I could definitely see them doing this, maybe not buying a, you know, a Vision EQXX to pick people up, but buying some sort of autonomous vehicle to run Uber, to run Lyft. So you don't have to worry about, you know, you don't have to worry about drivers at all. Someone calls a car, a Tesla Model X comes and picks them up. They get in, it drops them off, it goes and picks up the next person. And that way you can have these cars running 24, well, you know, until they need to charge. You don't, they don't have to worry about, okay, well, this car isn't available because this person needs to sleep yeah. or this person needs to eat or this person needs to go home to their family every once in a while, right? These cars could, could they could obviously get a lot more bang for their buck, let's say, if they are using a car for rideshare programs as opposed to a person, but it just depends. Are people going to be comfortable for that? Because if we're talking about like business-wise, they could definitely offer a more competitive price doing that, but are people going to be interested in it? Yeah, well, it's it's funny that you bring that up because GM just announced they, they delivered their first, uh, I believe it's only five, but their first electric delivery vehicles. And there was that conversation not too long ago about, you know, delivery drivers, especially with Amazon, not getting the chance to even stop to use the bathroom. So yeah, mm. maybe this could be the solution of, hey, let's just get some autonomous vehicles so we don't have exactly. to worry about that. <laughs> you don't have to worry about letting the car use the bathroom. All right. So our next topic, continuing on with CES trends. We also got to see uh, our first look of what phones are going to look like in 2022. Uh, and this happened with, with a couple of, of announcements and a couple of rumors. Uh, the first announcement was with the, or I guess showcase, was with the Galaxy S21 FE, the fan edition version of the S21. Very similar to the original S21, um, a plastic and metal phone. It comes in four new colors, including uh, like a purplish lavender an off-white, uh, a greenish, and like a dark gray, almost black. It has an upgraded front-facing camera. It's got, you know, flagship specs with the uh, flagship Snapdragon processor. And it's $100 cheaper than the original S21. So, you know, that was a kind of cool announcement. It's, it's a little bit hampered from the fact that we also have a, an even cheaper phone than that with the Pixel 6. Uh, but still, cool things to see from Samsung. We also got announcements of the next OnePlus device. Uh, I think we're at 10 now, uh, the OnePlus 10. So we got to see the specs of that phone once again, full flagship phone, and a, a couple of looks. They, they announced, they showed some press shots as well, but uh, not a full-on announcement yet. We haven't seen, uh, usually OnePlus has a little bit of a showcase, and they get these phones into uh, a lot of YouTubers' hands and stuff like that, so we can see it firsthand. We haven't gotten that yet, uh, but hopefully we're going to get that soon. We also definitely got, coming soon. Definitely coming soon. Um, we also got a look at some new phones from TCL, 
these are the this TCL is actually the company that used to make uh, or license the BlackBerry name, and they made some BlackBerry phones in the past. Now they're sticking with their own TCL nameplate. They're making a mid-range and a budget phone. Nothing really too interesting there. But also we're getting a lot of rumors that seem to be concrete about the S22 uh, and the S22 line and potentially even the return of the Note series for Samsung. So kind of a lot of interesting things that we're seeing for the future of uh, phones, specifically in the year 2022. Uh, my question to you is, have you got to see any of these uh, announcements of these phones? Do you like the S21 FE? Uh, how do you think it compares to the Pixel 6? And do you think that the S22 will bring back the Note? Uh, I've seen a few of the phones that you mentioned, like the OnePlus, the S21 FE. I've seen some leaks and renders of the S22 Ultra. The S21 FE I think it is a good phone. I mean, I haven't seen enough reviews of it yet to really see how it compares to the Pixel 6. But just in terms of design, I'm going to have to give it to the Pixel 6. Mm -hmm. Because this is, you know, a polycarbonate-backed phone, right? And from what I've seen of the S21 FE, the regular S21 has a plastic back. It's sort of like a glossy plastic back, so it looks almost like glass. This one is just straight up plastic. So it's, it's you know, a downgraded in many ways. I don't have a problem with plastic phones, but it's, it's not as premium looking, let's say, as the Pixel 6 looks. And, you know, mm-hmm. even though it is a budget phone, the Pixel 6 does look pretty premium. Yeah. And it looks pretty nice. Assuming you like the camera bar on the back and... You know, you don't miss the camera bump. But I do like that Samsung has decided to stick with the the same design language. Because mm-hmm. I think it was something that people really enjoyed, how it kind of, the camera bump blended into the sides of the phone. And, you know, speaking of people liking how that looked, if you look at OnePlus's latest phone, the OnePlus 10 Pro, which is what everyone's seen pictures of, they have that same sort of blending of the camera bump. And... I'm glad to see that it's not necessarily, you know, Apple that's always started the trend because this was a trend that Samsung started last year. Now it seems like OnePlus is copying them and and the camera bump on the OnePlus isn't even as big as the camera bump on the S21. So it seems like they're, mm-hmm. it seems like hopefully we're going back to the trend of a more flush flat back to the phone. I mean, this is just one phone and it's not even officially out yet, right? These are just renders that we're looking at. But from what I've seen of it, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty nice. Hopefully more phone manufacturers go to this reduction of the camera bump. I think that'd be a trend that the industry definitely needs. And speaking of a reduction of the camera bump, when we look at at least the renders I've seen of the not sure if it's the S22 Ultra or if it's the S22 Note. It doesn't even seem like there is a solid camera bump. Now it's a flat back to the phone and you have the individual camera lenses, you know, slightly protruding out, maybe like a millimeter or two, which I think is an even greater camera trend, right? So I think there's a lot of exciting things that are happening. I'm glad to see that it's not, you know, Apple seems to be stuck in the, camera bump ways and i remember when the iphone 6 first came out with that slight little 
just the lenses sticking out. It's kind of like, oh, why would they do this? They completely yeah. ruined the back of the phone. Like now it's a little bit wobbly. And now look at the point we've gotten to. Right. So I uh, I'm excited. I, I would say the most to see what happens with the S22, especially with the S22 Ultra, because there's kind of there's a mixed reporting as to whether this is in fact an S22 Note or if this is an S22 Ultra that now just has a spot for a pen, you know, mm -hmm. for an S Pen. Because that's one feature that they added to phones last year is that most of the, the Samsung Galaxy phones were compatible with an S Pen. They didn't have anywhere to store them. We said that's, you know, one thing that's, that's not going to make it, you know, fully embraced by users is that you have to get a separate case to store this pen ineffectively. So... You know, we'll see when this all gets announced, but that is what I'm looking forward to the most. I would say the S22 series. Yeah, I'm 100% with you, um, especially with the Ultra or Note, or maybe they just decide to adopt the all all the names and it's the S22. Sorry, the Samsung Galaxy S22 Ultra Note, and maybe they might say Ultra <laughs> Note Plus. They just put everything. Maybe in there. yeah. But um, yeah. Ultra I, Note I, Plus Pro. <laughs> plus pro max um yeah <laughs> but yeah i i could definitely that's the one i'm definitely looking the most forward to as well not because i there, i will ever buy that phone because i'm sure it's going to be very expensive but because i really like the note and uh i i want to see it come back uh and i think that would be a great thing to see in 2022 but also you know you mentioned the uh s21 fe uh fan edition you know i agree with a lot of what you said like the phone is not especially when it comes to the pixel six it's kind of hard to compare because the pixel six is cheaper and looks and seems more premium that being said i do like the uh, s21 fan edition and if it had launched at the same price as the pixel six i think that's a much better conversation and despite the fact that i said the pixel six was my phone of 2021 had i been in the market for a phone in that class and both of those were available at the same price i might go towards the s22 uh, sorry, the S21F Fan Edition, because I've said on the past, I really like Samsung's ecosystem. I think they have a really, really good ecosystem. And we're going to talk more about ecosystems uh, in a little bit. But um, yeah, it, it's just it's just a cool thing to see. Also, you know, OnePlus announced the phone and they have the OnePlus uh, 10. It's going to be a 5G phone. Like you said, it's going to embrace the camera bump kind of spilling over to the sides the same way the Samsung phone is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting looking phone. Um, I'm kind of interested to see what the full, uh, spec reveal is with the, with the phone. Although it is, has been announced, it is going to continue the Hasselblad, uh, partnership. We are going to get, I believe, 48 megapixel cameras on the back of this phone. And, you know, Hasselblad is going to be working on the software like they did, uh, with the OnePlus 9. It's going to be interesting to see if, you know, they can get maybe a little bit better performance out of those cameras than they did last year. Uh, but, you know, I, I've said many times on this podcast in the past, I am a big fan of the OnePlus One. It's a phone I still have and, and still really like to this day. But I definitely think OnePlus has lost its way a little bit. They're kind of starting with the OnePlus 10 Pro. It's going to be another really expensive phone, uh, probably, you know, close to $1,000. Uh, it, it kind of lost its charm for me. I'm curious, how do you feel about the OnePlus 10? And do you think OnePlus should continue to play in this flagship space or maybe more focus on 
on maybe mid-range and and budget phones kind of like what what pixel has been doing and, and seems to be having a lot of success because there's a lot of buzz around the pixel 6 right now yeah it's it's an interesting place to be in because their their brand was built on budget phones on affordable phones mm-hmm. and it almost seems like you know every company once they get successful at that they want to start to go towards a premium route right like even you mentioned pixel they've been so good with the a series with the budget phones but they still want to shoot for that premium phone because that's kind of i guess i guess that's what a company really builds its name on i think i think they need to do both mm-hmm. the fact that they i mean i guess marketing wise you have to show the pro version first. It wouldn't be as exciting if it was, okay, here's our one plus 10. And, you know, when it comes time for launch, then we're going to show off the pro device. You want to get people as excited as possible for whenever this thing launches. So it makes sense. I like the design. I'm interested to see how they change the design for the non-pro version. But I do like the design like that they seem to, they have seemed to gone with on this one. And, um, you know, it's it's definitely a venture from what OnePlus has typically done, right? Yeah. With their past phones, right? It's been more of what, like a almost a camera bar, but a vertical version of it. So this is definitely a departure from what they've done in the past. Hopefully, it's a you know, hopefully they have something more affordable than what they did last year. But I guess another hopeful thing is hopefully the Hasselblad partnership does a bit better. They have a three-year deal at least. Last year when they announced it, they announced it as a three-year deal. I'm not sure if anything has changed in their partnership. So hopefully, you know, in the second year, we see, okay, Hasselblad's color signs, which is one of the big reasons for partnering with them. Hopefully that pays off a bit more. And then we can have another competitor in this, this mobile phone camera competition, mm-hmm. right? Because right now it's Apple, Google are at the top. Samsung's, you know, they're third, they're there. They don't make horrible cameras, but they're not making the same sort of cameras that Apple and Google are. So it would be nice to see another competitor enter that or, you know, not even enter that. It'd be nice to see someone maybe displace Apple and Google at the top. Maybe OnePlus with the co-developed camera by Hasselblad jumps to the best mobile phone camera there is. That'd be great to see. Yeah. Probably not going to happen, but it would be great to see. All right, and continuing with the CES, I'm going to go over some rapid fire of some things that I thought were were interesting, and then maybe afterwards, if any of those stand out to you, uh, you, we can talk about them, or you can also go over some of the stuff that stood out to you in CES. So uh, I'm going to start really quickly with graphics. So two cool things we really got to see, or three cool things we actually really got to see at this year's CES, is Intel actually demonstrated their dedicated graphics platform called Arc. Essentially, they have announced that they're going to be releasing all Intel-based machines, specifically laptops. And they actually showed a demonstration of an all Intel-based laptop, including, so this means an Intel CPU and Intel GPU with their dedicated ARC graphics running modern games. And the game that they showed was the yet-to-be-released Death Stranding uh, Director's Cut for PC. And it was running well. And this is a modern game. This is the first time we're seeing Intel graphics actually run modern games uh, well. And so this is a really exciting thing to see, especially in an age where graphics cards are getting more and more expensive. 
and uh, less and less availability because of the chip shortage. So it's great to have another player in the game. The cool thing about Intel Arc and an entirely integrated system is that this does not fully just completely get rid of integrated graphics in Intel chips. As many people know, Intel does have a graphics processor integrated into the CPU. Uh, right now, they're going on their Iris Pro graphics. And uh, what this allows the dedicated version of, of Intel Arc to do is it allows it to share the load of whatever you're doing. So for example, if it's exporting a video, instead of all of that ex uh, export happening on just a dedicated GPU, it can be split so that some of the tasks can be done on the integrated C, uh, GPU uh, that's attached to the chip. And then the majority of the work can be done on the dedicated GPU. And they, with this kind of setup, they announced that this could potentially increase people's workflows by 40%, um, just by sharing the load between these parts because they can communicate with each other so well. Really cool thing to see from Intel. And um, I'm kind of can't wait to see any of these uh, machines released to the public. Really looking forward to reviews of those. We also got to see some new graphics cards from NVIDIA. We got to see a brand new 3090 Titanium special uh, edition of the 3090, their new top of the line GPU. Uh, but we also got to see more exciting for me is an RTX 3050 that's going to be launching under $300. Uh, and it's going to be the first time we're going to get ray tracing, dedicated ray tracing hardware available on really affordable cards. The 60 series has gone up in price over the years. So this is a great uh, time to bring in the 3050. Des this is a desktop uh, card. Both of these are desktop cards. And yeah, it's, it's great to see, not just because of ray tracing, but those RT cores also do allow for deep learning super sampling, DLSS, which allows you to upscale a game with their AI cores without using the performance of the GPU. So essentially you can upscale a game from 1080p to 4K so, you know, you can run the game better because you're going to be using the resources closer to what it would be for 1080p, but get a much better picture. Uh, so that's really cool to see. Uh, another really cool thing for me, and it was personally my favorite thing of this CES, is from Samsung. And it's called the Samsung Freestyle. And it is a mobile projector that you can bring with you anywhere you want. You can point it at a wall and it will automatically adjust, put the picture there. Uh, it will adjust for... The position of the of the projector will adjust for the color of the wall that it's being pointed at. Um, and it comes with a bunch of attachments, uh, including one that will allow you to attach it to a ceiling light and have a projected image just displayed on the table. Um, you can also point it at your ceiling and have a projected image up there. So it's a really modular, small, portable projector that can, you know, stretch to about 100 inches or even more. And, you know, give you a really good picture and everything automated. So it's a really cool thing. I would definitely recommend people check it out. Definitely my product of CES. But yeah, uh, we kind of had a lot of stuff, including some TVs. Uh, and the trend from TVs is that every single TV manufacturer is embracing game streaming. TCL, Samsung, LG, they all announced that their TVs are going to come with game streaming integrated from stadia to geforce now to potentially even xcloud we're going to see that integrated directly into our tvs going forward uh which kind of maybe you know doesn't need the uh, uh you know dedicated consoles anymore um for a lot mm -hmm. of uh, uh casual gamers be really cool to see 
Uh, and it's also kind of the beginning of that, that kind of trend, right? Like this is very similar to when Netflix was starting to be available on every single TV. Could a lot of these game streaming services like Stadia, probably not Stadia, um, or, you know, Microsoft's xCloud uh, and Game Pass be the future of gaming? Could this be, you know, Netflix of gaming that we've all kind of called it, but really getting into the mainstream in TV is really cool to see. But yeah, it's just a bunch of stuff uh, happening in CES. And, and I guess my question to you is, uh, does any of that interest you or is there anything in particular in CES that really stood out to you? I'll work backwards from that. So TV manufacturers integrated game streaming. That's pretty exciting. But I guess my only question is, I guess it's really what services are going to be available on it. Like you said, you know, it's mostly seems like Stadia. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the other one? Uh, GeForce Now. Stadia, GeForce Now. But I think what would really make this a, a, you know, a winning feature is if you get something like Xbox Game Pass. Mm -hmm. I don't see them doing that. I don't see Xbox doing that anytime soon. Because if you are able to stream games straight to your TV without an Xbox, that com that would completely tank their Xbox. Well, not completely. There would obviously still be the purists and, you know, the Xbox fanboys and fangirls out there that need an Xbox console. But I don't see that being the I don't see that being the current state of streaming. I see the stadias, the GeForce Nows. I could possibly even see an integrated Apple TV, you know, so you have Apple Arcade built into a TV system. I could see something like that. But until there's, you know, actual AAA gaming that you can stream on a TV, I don't really see this being that successful of a future, mm. personally, at least. I mean, maybe that's just because that's really the only kind of gaming I'm interested in. But I mean, you know, there could be smaller games. You know, there could always be some, some breakout hit from an indie company that everyone wants to play on their TV and it just happens to be free. It happens to be built into the system. So maybe you could take off some way like that, but I don't see TV. I don't see TV manufacturers, you know, building streaming services into their TVs, or at least game streaming services being a thing until we have more AAA titles or until we have some AAA titles come into it. Mm -hmm. I saw the Samsung freestyle. You brought that up to me. I hadn't heard of it before, but it looks amazing it looks pretty fun it looks you know just from the commercials that they've kind of shown for it that they've debuted for it it's a pretty cool little device and yeah. the fact that it's small it's designed to be portable it's designed to move around and it does all of the adjusting for yourself so it's not you know a long setup or anything it's just take it point it on the wall all right we're watching something okay we want to move to a different room okay take it pointed on this wall now we're watching something or pointed on the ceiling and just the versatility of this and the ease of use i can see this becoming a smash hit yeah um the only thing that i see kind of getting in the way of it possibly the price it's listed i believe at 899 yeah. 1080p projector now it's not the most expensive projector but it's also not the best projector and mm -hmm. i'm sure part of what the price is considering that it's only 1080p you know part of what the price is is that it's so portable and it's so versatile and it has so many functions built into it but you know 
as is typical fashion, I could see them bringing this price down very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see them having some sort of promotion where buy an S22 Ultra and you save $400 on your Samsung Freestyle Projector. Right, Samsung is notorious for doing those sort of those sort of deals and doing those sort of things. So, yeah, I would definitely like to see this in more people's homes. I'd like to see this in more places, and you know the way it's the way it's so portable. It doesn't even need to be homes, mm-hmm. right? You could be, let's say, out at the park somewhere, or you could be visiting a friend somewhere, and you could just have a, a show, you could have a movie, you could have video games playing really anywhere that you could bring this thing. So I think it's something cool to see. But I, yeah, I think the price is going to be a barrier for a lot of people. But I'm sure Samsung will find some way to fix that or you know, find some sort of bundle that they could create in the future. The graphics cards, the game streaming, I mean, the way that Intel Arc sounds, it almost sounds like they're... It almost sounds like Intel's take on like an ARM processing mm-hmm. setup or like a big little setup, right? Which is a, something pretty intriguing, right? Because if they are able to do that, they can offload some of the, you know, some of the processing from the dedicated GPU to the integrated GPU. What's to stop people like AMD from doing that, mm-hmm. right? So it's, I'm surprised that I've never, or that, you know, this hasn't been a bigger trend at least, but I'm definitely excited to see what Intel can do here. And, you know, kind of one of the biggest things in the past couple of years when it comes to chips, whether it's CPUs or GPUs, is that, you know, AMD's been kicking Intel's butt when it comes to performance, when it comes to price. So hopefully this is kind of a play by Intel to say, hey, we understand that we have been sort of stagnant in our production. This is our way to try and win some people back. So hopefully, hopefully it performs well. You know, hopefully it kind of meets all the numbers and the benchmarks that they're saying. But another good thing too is it also gives people options, right? It gives competition always works out better for the consumers. And then we're talking about, you know, graphics processors and graphics cards, the RTX 3090 and the 3050. As soon as you brought these up, the first thing that went to my mind is I hope these don't all go to bots. Because yes, obviously, there is a global chip shortage going right now, which is making it harder for manufacturers to produce things. But I guess another thing that seems to have instantly become popular as soon as there's a global chip shortage is there is a lot more, um, seems there's a lot more proliferation of people using bots to buy graphics cards and just to buy anything, to buy shoes, to buy clothing. Bots are everywhere, gaming consoles. So I really don't know how they can fight this. Hopefully they're finding some way to do it. But the fact that, hey, this is a budget device under $300 that will be able to, you know, that will be able to perform ray tracing. That could be amazing. That's a game changer as long as it gets into the hands of people that actually want to use it for gaming. Because that's kind of what happened last year. They were coming out with a lot of different graphics cards and a lot of great numbers and a lot of great, oh, you know, this is the kind of performance you get from our cards, but nobody could get the cards to game. So I'm excited to see these, these upcoming graphics cards, but I just 
you know, it's it's yet to be seen if they've kind of they've corrected that. And it's not even their fault, right? It's yeah. just the way that the the economy worked right now. So hopefully, hopefully these cards actually get into the hands of gamers and we can hear from gamers, you know, how they feel about them, what kind of performance they're getting out of them. Yeah, 100%. Especially with, you know, this is NVIDIA's MSRP for the 3050. Like I said, that's definitely the thing I'm looking, I'm the most excited about. Uh, the MSRP yeah. is under $300. There's no guarantee that that's going to be the actual cost of these cards. <laughs> Even if you were able to get one from a manufacturer, yeah. you know, we have seen a lot of the cars that were originally, originally released hundred, $150, $160 more than what their original MSRP was supposed to be even before scalpers get their hands on it. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely a little optimistic, but, um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, uh, similar to what happened with the Xbox series S that scalpers might avoid the 3050 because one it's not going to be the most powerful card and two i imagine the profit margin for something that starts at, that has such a low base starting price might not be profitable to actually start scalping so that's the hope but i guess you know we just have to wait and see yeah a story or i guess another tech trend that kind of caught my attention was Google has announced that they want to work to improve Windows and Android integration. Mm. And this kind of caught my attention because this is great, but it's also something that we talked about on our last podcast. And one of our predictions for this year was that Google was going to build out their ecosystem. You know, we were saying hopefully with a watch that hasn't been announced yet, but kind of what they've announced here is that they're basically making the equivalent of Apple's AirPlay or AirDrop for Android, Chrome, and Windows. They're working with manufacturers like Acer, HP, and Intel to bring something else called FastPair to Windows PCs. So the same way, let's say if you have an iPhone and you open up a pair of AirPods right next to it, and you have that notification that pops up on your screen that says pair with one button, the same thing happens with a Pixel device and Pixel Buds. Now, when you have, you know, upcoming Acer laptops or upcoming HP or Intel laptops, you're just going to have to open up your Pixel Buds and there's going to be a one button pairing feature. You're also going to be able to easily transfer files between Android and your Chromebook or Android and your Windows laptop. And there's a lot of functions that they've announced that are kind of saying, hey, Windows understands what these guys on we need to talk about tech we're talking about to say hey don't these guys are really onto something we have a huge opportunity on our hands let's take advantage of it because like we said last week you know it's not apple yes there are a lot of apple products out there but they don't match how many android devices windows devices how many samsung devices there are and the opportunity to build out this ecosystem is it's humongous. And I'm glad to see that, you know, we didn't have to wait until April. We didn't have to wait until August for Google to start kind of building out these functions. They're saying at the start of the year, this is one of the things we're focusing on this year. Um, it's not happening at the start of the year. It's going to come in, you know, the upcoming weeks, some functions, the upcoming months, but 
it's very exciting to see them start off saying this. And I'm looking forward to see where this goes in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm so glad you brought this to my attention. And this is, this is fantastic news. Uh, a lot of us have complained about how when Apple does something, everyone seems to follow suit. And even if it's not a good idea, like getting rid of the headphone jack uh, and chargers <laughs> in the box. But one thing that Apple has been doing recently is becoming more proprietary, becoming more insular in that, you know, Apple products are only going to work with Apple products and they're not going to work with other stuff. And I'm really glad that uh, Google has decided not to copy that. And in the past year or so, really forged relationships with Samsung and Microsoft to make their products work outside of Android and outside of Chrome, which is so great to see. And yeah, it, it could only make those products better. So yeah, I'm 100% with you on that one. Yeah. Just a few other functions, you know, there's a, another feature for your messaging apps. Let's say if you have WhatsApp, you have Signal, you have Slack on your phone and you have a paired Chromebook next to you, you can run those apps mirrored from your phone to your Chromebook. You don't have to install anything. You don't have to download. You don't have to sign in. If your phone is paired with your Chromebook or, you know, possibly your Acer or your HP laptop in the future, you can run the exact same app from your phone to your PC, mm. typing on your keyboard. Another feature that Apple has, you know, if you have your Apple Watch nearby, your, your MacBook, your iPad will kind of stay unlocked because it recognizes that, hey, this person is present, they're here, they're right next to their devices. The same thing is going to happen when you have a paired Wear OS, which is, you know, the, the operating system that, Samsung and Google have worked together to put on wearable devices. So the same thing is going to happen with Chromebooks, with Android devices, with some Windows laptops. Another thing, not just, you know, regular tech, I guess. Um, they're also partnering with BMW. So some of their supported vehicles will let you have a Samsung phone, have a Pixel phone that has ultra wideband support. And you can use that as your as your key to enter your vehicle mm. and to the point where you don't even have to take it out of your pocket. It's going to say, Hey, this Samsung device, this pixel device, this BMW is running Android auto. You approach the car. It recognizes that your paired phone is close by and unlocks the door for you. You get in, don't have to take off your gloves. Don't have to get into your pocket. Don't have to open up your bag, your purse, nothing. I, you know, I'm very excited to see how much they build out in the future. And I'm very excited to see that they have so many of these different partnerships that they're building. It's not, you know, it's not just sticking in the Google ecosystem as in only Google made things. It's we're going to partner with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely awesome to see. Guess any closing statements for today? Uh, no, it was just another interesting CES, obviously not the best. Um, you know, this one was planned to be in person, but a lot of, a lot of these, uh, conferences were done remote uh but we did get to see some cool stuff and also some really strange things uh one of my favorite things to see was some laptops that we got uh that were real weird and, and i kind of have a question so a couple of the laptops that really stood out to me one of them was a lenovo machine and it seemed like a trend with a lot of these machines is just putting screens in random places and one of the lenovo machines just put an eight inch tablet next to the keyboard another laptop was the uh, Dell, uh, the new Dell XPS 13. 
and it made the trackpad invisible, um, which was a little strange. I mean, it looked cool, but I don't know how usable that is. I'm just curious. For all these guys who are struggling to find out what the next laptop should be like, as someone who's in the market for a new laptop, what is a feature that you really want to see in laptops so they can stop doing these ridiculous stuff? <laughs> and for the record, that tablet next to it, it's a 720p tablet. It's not even like it's a great screen. It's not a good screen. Yeah, okay. The, what I think every manufacturer should do is make Asus Flow. The X13? Yeah, the Asus ROG Flow X13. That, in my mind, is one of the best, if not the best, form factors there is. The only thing that would make it better is if the screen was a detachable touchscreen. Mm -hmm. I think you, I don't think you need gimmicks to make things, to make people buy or stuff, even though, you know, obviously gimmicks work. That's why companies keep on doing them, but just build a simple device that, and I guess that's the thing too, is like for the Asus, for the Flow X13, its gimmick is that it has an external GPU that is also a sort of docking station. Mm -hmm. But it's a gimmick that actually adds something to it, right? This XPS 13, it doesn't really have a, a trackpad, at least not a clear trackpad, and has a sort of like touch bar at the top. Apple just got rid of their touch bar. Everyone knows that their touch bars are bad idea. Just give us physical buttons for our, our keyboards. This Lenovo laptop with a tablet beside the touchpad or beside the keyboard, that doesn't really add much. And like you said, it's a 1080p screen. Or no, sorry, it's a 720p screen. If people want a second screen, they want a second full screen. No one wants a second miniature screen because that doesn't add to productivity. Yeah. With the the ROG Flow X13, it's it doesn't come with a second screen, but it makes it easy enough to add external monitors. You know, the the fact that, okay, one, it's an external GPU, so it's boosting the performance of your device. And also, two, it's giving you more ports, it's giving you more adaptability. Those are all things that people need. If you want some sort of gimmick to give people, find a way to make their devices more powerful and give them something that I guess it's something they can actually use. And when I say actually use like productivity wise, so yeah. either, you know, maybe if instead of a miniature screen next to your keyboard, you had a screen that slid out from the side of your laptop, that is something I could actually find more useful than a miniature screen. Because whenever I'm working on a laptop, whenever anyone's look, working on a laptop, they're never thinking, man, I wish I just had a miniature screen off to the side. They want a full second screen. So find some way to give them that if you want some way that hasn't been done before, but it doesn't even have to be that new. So give, give them more ports somehow because yeah. people always need more ports. Give them more screen somehow because if you want to be more productive, one way to do that, have more screens. But aside from that, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Just, you don't need to, you know, put a yoke steering wheel. Regular <laughs> steering wheel works fine. But yeah, if you're going to, if, if 
manufacturers are going to create some sort of gimmick, I would say it has to either boost performance or boost productivity. When you're talking about a laptop, that's really all that people ever really need for a laptop. It's, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think, hey, all you laptop manufacturers out there, please listen. You don't need to put dumb gimmicks in your laptops. Just make good laptops. And it's funny you talked about the Asus X13 and you mentioned, you know, one with a detachable. Well, hey, this year they announced the Asus Flow Z13, which is essentially that. <laughs> it's essentially that machine, but it's a detachable <laughs> screen like a Surface. Um, so, yeah, it, hey, there are some cool things that you can do. They're proving it here at CES. Uh, a random 720p screen at the side of your keyboard and an invisible trackpad. Not the way to go. <laughs> Asus, wow. Look at this. Look at that. So it's essentially a surface, at least from what I'm seeing. That's just, that's just great. I was actually about to say everyone should just make a surface. <laughs> the only, my only problem with the surface is the kickstand. Not that I think it's a bad design. It's a great design. Very usable, very useful, especially when you're working on a desk. But the thing about laptops, sometimes people use them on your laps. And it isn't like, okay, now we're getting real nitpicky. My favorite design was, what was it? The Surface Book, yeah. where the screen kind of clicked into the keyboard and made it a traditional laptop, and then you had to push a button to detach the screen. I think that's the best form factor. I think manufacturers should try and figure out a way to perfect that, um, if I'm being nitpicky, and then add more ports. Yeah, yeah. And more performance, and make it cost less. All that stuff, and you got my vote. <laughs> no more invisible trackpads. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode. <laughs>